so good to see all of you. How many have felt the presence of God already? Healing, anointing, refreshing. We serve such a great God. And we have a God that stands alive in the earth today. Amen. He's the great I am. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He doesn't fail us. He's still alive and he sits on the throne. His word of God is still living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. We serve a mighty, powerful, working God. And I'm just so excited about the season of this church and I believe the church of America. We're going to enter into an incredible move of God as we've been talking the last few years about a great awakening coming that's going to hit the earth. How many is ready for that awakening? I believe it's coming closer than we can imagine. But I'm so thankful you're here today. Let me just pray and I have a word for you. How many is ready for the word? Okay. Father, I thank you today as we gather in your presence. That, Lord, without your anointing, we have nothing. Without your presence and, and your Holy Spirit, God, we might as well not gather. But, Lord, because you are here, the word of God can go into good soil in our hearts, can change us, equip us, motivate us, and even challenge us, Father God. And I thank you today as we hear the word of God, let miracles and revelation begin to happen, Lord God. Let it spark a fire within our spirit today. I thank you in advance for what you've already done, God, and what you're going to continue to do. Even as we exit the parking lot and go home, you're still going to be moving. You're still going to be speaking, Father God. And we're so thankful for you. And we're always careful to give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. Thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate you. Boy, I just enjoyed our worship set today. That last song was on fire. I wanted to run around the church, but I got these high heels on, so I got a little scared. But... Hey, our five-year anniversary is coming up, every, everybody. I want to call it 33-5 because Bishop and Pastor Gloria started Faith Builders 33 years ago. But me pastoring has been five years, and it, we are entering the year of grace. Tell me that isn't awesome. So I have some good news for you. We are going to do a two-week church awakening celebration. And guess who's kicking off the first Sunday? Bishop and Pastor Gloria. We'll be in the house. Woo. And then my brother and my sister-in-law are going to close it out the next Sunday. So two Sundays in August, we are going to have a fire time. So make sure you block your calendar, invite your friends and families to be there. How many has never experienced my brother it, preaching? Y'all are going to be um, you're going to be so rocked. You're going to love him so much. He's so powerful. How many has never heard our covering bishop preach before? Really? Okay. Well, you guys are going to be blessed, too. It's going to be a wonderful two weeks, so make sure you mark your calendars. I also want to acknowledge some new friends that are here visiting from almost Maricopa, I want to say. I don't think you're that far. Is it just Mesa? Okay. But um, Mark and Sally, if you could stand, everyone. These are some new friends of mine. They drove all the way. We're so glad to have you. Um, they, they are pastors, and they used to pastor in Yuma, Vail, that's right, Vail. So it is in the south, and uh, they are um, in ministry still within their church, and so they got to sneak away to be a part of us. And I was with Sally last week, and she has a television program. It's called Purpose Something. Remind me. Life on Purpose. I knew that it was. And we did three shows together, and we had a blast. Let me just tell you. 
Two Girls on Fire for Jesus, we had a good time. So thank you guys for being here today. We're just so blessed to have you. All right, listen, I haven't taught for a couple weeks, so I'm excited, excited to be back in the pulpit, and I'm going to do part two of our Stand series. And if you missed week one on Stand, it was a couple weeks ago, I encourage you to get online and listen to week one, because this four or five part series is all going to blend together in how we need to take a stand for who we are in Jesus, amen, especially in the hour that we are living in. And how to stand up for our faith in a world that the Goliath is so strong and trying, trying to bully the church to be quiet. But how many know you can't shut up the church of Jesus Christ? You might bully them for a minute, but there'll be some Davids that will show up on the land, amen, and take out the Goliath. So today my message is um, stand, uh, stand up. And I'm going to talk about that we as the church need to learn to stand up for what matters most. And that we have to have boldness and courage to stand up for what we believe according to the word of God. But I really want to teach you and, and train you or even maybe just remind you that there's a right way to stand up for your faith and there's a wrong way to stand up for your faith. And that we as the church can hurt the image of God and the word of God if we don't learn to really share the truth the way that God would want us to share it. Amen. Last week I talked about, you know, standing, um, stand out, that Daniel stood out for God. He made some absolutes that he would not be defiled by the king's delicacies. This week we're talking about making that stand. And I believe that you're going to come to some point in our walk and our faith. It's not a matter of if you're going to need to stand up for your faith. It's when you're going to stand up for your faith. Because the devil of this world is challenging the church right now, challenging our faith in the word of God, challenging the absolutes of what God says, amen. And we as the church, and I've been telling you this for quite a while, we need to know what the word of God says about our faith. And where do we stand in the word of God? So that when we do encounter a situation that our faith is challenged, we won't be silent and we also won't be aggressive. We'll be able to just share what God's word says. And I think that's so important. Amen. That's why I want you to get in our rooted discipleship class. Get in our growing together class because that will equip you in your faith. Sometimes we go so deep in our faith that we get away from the fundamental principles. You know, we're kicking off our Wednesday nights coming up, and I, I met with our ladies today, and we're really talking about wanting to teach you how to share Jesus with someone and, and to know how to do it right, how to cast out demons. How many would know how to do that? Because there are times you're going to need to have some deliverance on some people, amen, how to do that in the power of God, how to fill someone with the power of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. You know, all these things that you, we want to equip you to know how to do that so when you are encountered in the world, you'll be ready. How many would look forward to something like that? Because you want to be ready, amen? So in this teaching that I want to teach you today, that sometimes love is going to have to make a stand. And we think love is, well, I wouldn't want to hurt their feelings. But true love can tell the truth in love. Because why? The truth sets people free. But the church has kind of been lulled to sleep, haven't we? To really standing up in our faith. And that's why I'm challenging you that we can be bold and courageous. And the church can change the culture. That the culture shouldn't change the church. And that has happened over the last four or five years or so. Now, there are some of us here in this room that are not confrontational at all. If I was to ask you, raise your hand, you're not confrontational, you probably wouldn't even want to raise your hand, right? 
Like you'd be like, I don't even want to acknowledge that I'm not confrontational. <laughs> but there's some of us in the room, and I'll raise both hands, that are very confrontational. You know, I love confrontation, but listen, I had to take this Italian nature and put confrontation in the blood of Jesus because it could get really ugly and, you know, too bold. But, you know, so we're, but we're all on different spectrums here, you know, but we've got to learn to come into our faith, right, and say, hey, I have to be willing to tell the truth in conviction and in love. And I'll show you how to do that. So I want to open up to 2 Timothy 2.23. And I want to start with this foundation because what we see on social media, I really hate social media. I mean, I'll just admit it. I hate it because there's things that we put on social media that we think as Christians, well, that's just the truth. But people don't have the context of that truth. People don't understand where you're coming from. They just see Christians as hard and mean and cruel, and there's no context of, well, I love you, and this is what the word says. And so now we become one more time divided in the body of Jesus Christ instead of coming together in the unity of the faith. I can just see the Holy Spirit just hanging on to Christians like this. Would you all just get along? It's like the Holy Spirit's trying to take both sides. It's like, come on. I mean, I think there's like 50 sides actually at this point. But we as a church has to come together together for Jesus and the word of God. Amen. The word is our final authority, not what government has to say, not what people have to say. No, we are Christ followers and we have a map. We have a blueprint called the word of God. And we as Christians just need to know the word of God and the word and the spirit will change and transform people's lives. Amen. So look at 2 Timothy. It says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. So there are just sometimes, how many has ever wrote, uh, wanted to write under a post and you're like, I better not hit send. Like I definitely do that a lot because I'm a pastor and I feel like I have to represent some good behavior, but my flesh wants to tick over sometimes. But you know, why have an argument with someone? The Bible says, if this conversation that you're going to have is lead to an argument, don't have it. Because they don't have ears to hear. or They may not be in a place to hear, right? So let's just filter what we're doing with the truth to will it start an argument? Do I just want to be right? Or do I want to have the heart of that person because I love them so much that I'll do what it takes to develop that relationship so when the door opens, I can slip in a little bit of love and truth. Now when their hearts are open, because people need conversations. How many don't like to be told what to do? Y'all are lying. Come on. Y'all love, nobody wants to be told what to do. Y'all looked at me all self-righteous. I don't know. Nobody. We want to do the opposite of what somebody's trying to tell us to do. Same with someone who doesn't understand our faith or our word of God. They don't want to be told it's wrong. They need to be shared the word of God. Let the word be the truth. Let the anointing of the word speak to people instead of being confrontational. Because now a person that you could have won to Jesus or won what the word of God says about a situation, they have become dead ears to you. And now God has to bring them to another sphere of influence and give someone else the boldest and courage that you should have had in that relationship to speak truth and love. Amen? Y'all would hate it if I came up here and just blasted you all the time. No, but we look at the fullness of the word of God. So let's look at these two things, two confrontational extremes. Number one, some are unwilling to confront. Just not going to do it. Why? Because we may say, well, it's none of my business. 
right? Or let them live the way that they live. Let them make their own decisions. Who am I to judge how they live, right? And if you're too non-confrontational, it stops people from the ability to move forward. So not saying anything is not good either. You have to be willing. That's why I've been saying you've got to know the truth of the word of God. Let me ask you this. Since the big explosion last week of Roe v. Wade, lots of people loved it, lots of people were confused, and a lot of demons were angry. Let's just say it that way. Because that's bottom line what it was, right? But let me ask you as Christ followers, don't raise your hand, how many of you said, I didn't like that verdict, but I'm going to go to the word of God, and what does God's word say about it? I'm just throwing it out there. See, we have absolutes. Well, that's just wrong. Okay, that's what the world is saying. But we are Christ followers. We have an accountability. So if you're angry about something, well, I want to know what God's word says about it. And we can go back and find it in culture. I'm going to teach on it, so I'm not going in deep today. Did you go back to Roe v. Wade and find out where it began? And find out that the girl that they said had the abortion never had the abortion. She went on to have three children. And they based a whole thing about it. Did you find out why abortion started? Where did it come from? And where do they put the first abortion clinics? And what was the agenda of it? Listen, the the world and the devil is going to make us angry to divide us. But what does God say? We have a responsibility to say, I am not going to listen to what the world says. And if I can't find it in the word of God, then I can believe what I want to believe. But if we go to the word of God, God will show. We want truth. I don't want to be teaching a lie. I don't want to love someone so much that I'm not willing to say, hey, let's get coffee and talk about it. And maybe you need to have another conversation. But if we're conflicting about things and we never find out the truth, we don't know how to have the conversation. So why don't people have confrontation? I think the number one reason is because we don't know the answers. Amen? I don't know the answer is because I have the word of God in me. So if somebody wants to confront me if God is real, let's have it. Because I'm not afraid to answer that truth because I can take you Genesis to Revelations if you want to. I don't have to argue about it. I can show you what the word of God says. We need to be empowered in this hour, amen. It's not being cruel. Love says I'll tell you the truth even though it might seem confrontational, Amen. All right, then there's the other extreme, number two. Some confront unlovingly. I call it drive-by confrontation. I'm going to tell you what I hate, tell you how you should think. Did anybody see that online last week? Well, if you ain't doing this, you're going to hell. And if this preacher ain't saying that, then you better exit their church. I know you all saw it online. But that's drive-by confrontation. That's not relational at all. You're telling people to leave their church, that they love their pastor, because the pastor may have not said something that we think they should say, or another preacher said that we should say in our pulpits. Come on, people. A pastor is accountable to his sheep, his voice, his sound. There's a fivefold ministry. Now get this, prophets, which a lot of these loud mouths that were here, I don't want to say loud mouths, but you know the loudest noise I'll say. Loud mouths. Loud mouths. <laughs> prophets are black and white, but they herald. They do make the sound. There's a trumpeting. I love what I heard Lisa Bevere say, and she really brought, I think, a correction to what she's been seeing online, these young preachers, that they're being more critical than they are prophesying. 
And I love that because we can prophesy the truth but not be critical about it. And we have to be so mindful because we don't want to exit people out of good churches because somebody else said they should leave a church. It's not right because there's a five-fold ministry and they all function in different offices. They all have different purposes, amen? Now we believe that every church will start teaching the truth if they're not teaching about what the Word of God says. Yes, let's bring in accountability to start teaching the Word of God, but we don't have to blast everybody else because we're not because it will be misunderstood, amen? Some people say, I'll just tell you because it's the truth, right? That, that's not godly at all. If you look in the Act, book of Acts, how the church was developed. Well, the people would go to the tabernacle. They would get the word from the apostle, right? The apostle would speak what God is doing and saying. They would go back to their homes. Everybody say homes. Homes. And they would make a meal. And they would invite their friends and family in to have a meal. And then you know what they would do? They would talk about what the apostles were talking about. It wasn't drive-by confrontation. It was relational. You have a sphere of seven around you. You don't have to worry about the other thousand on Facebook who probably don't even see your post half the time. There's seven in your life that you could commune with and you could open up your home or you can go have coffee with and you can begin to build that relationship and through relationship, now you can bring truth. And that's why me as your pastor, I want to equip you with the truth so that you know how to give truth away. Amen? You want to have the answers. So you have to be willing to take a stand. I said this verse a few weeks ago, Matthew 10, 16. How do we do that? I love this verse because he was talking about persecution that was going to come to the Christians. And he said, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Listen, you're going out as beautiful, loving people who love God and you love people. But there are wolves out there. Amen? There's deception. There's an antichrist spirit in the world today. If you don't sense that, you better start praying in the Holy Ghost. Because what we're dealing with is not governmental. It is demonic. It's a demonic influence in our country or in the world. Amen? Our battle's not against flesh and blood. So God's sending you out. And what does he say? Therefore, be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. That means I'm, I'm looking at every opportunity. If I have somebody that is, you know, against God or I want to share my faith or whatever it is, I'm going to look for an opportunity to open up that door to show God's love to them. Wise as a servant. I'm not going to, blah, 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 here's what I believe. No, I'm going to watch for that moment. Wise as a servant. And then when I do get in their hearts, gentle as a dove. The truth will cut itself anyway. So all I have to do is deliver it in love, and when they know it's in love, they receive it in love. Now their hearts can begin to digest the truth. Now listen, there'll be some religious people who will never want to talk about the truth. So don't worry about religious people. There's a lost and dying world. The harvest is ripe, amen. Go for I'm not saying you can't talk to Christians, but you hear my heart. There is the world who's longing for this truth, and we have to be bold and courageous to share this truth. As a follower of Christ... There will be a time where God will call on you to intervene in someone's life because you love them. So let's give the answers. Amen. How do we share Jesus? How do I talk about abortion? What if someone comes to you, a beautiful woman, and, and she opens up her heart and says, I did have an abortion. And all this talk about this has just troubled me and made me angry and I'm so ashamed. What's our answer to her? Do we know what the word of God says? Because that's going to happen. 
God's going to give you opportunities. You're the hands and the feet of Jesus and his mouth. Know what the word of God says. He loves you and he forgives you and he will restore you and he'll remove the past. And let's pray right now. Let's pray God's healing and grace and forgiveness for you. That's what the church should be about. Amen. Instead of just be anti, no, there are people who need this hope and this love in their life. How about the sexualization of children right now? If you aren't angry about that, then you do not have your eyes wide open because they are going after our children. And they're going after our kids. There are videos that say we are going after the children. And they're causing them to be confused about who they are as little boys and little girls. I'm telling you, if anybody touches the kids, this woman gets angry. You know, you can fight with me on anything else, but I will fight you about the kids. Because God says it's better that you tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the sea than to touch one of these little ones. We should be fighting for this next generation. Because this next generation has a call of God in their life. They will stand up in power and authority, and that's why the devil's going after them to question their identity and who they are before they can even rise up and step into Jesus Christ. The church needs to be heard loud right now about that, but we're quiet because we're afraid to hurt people's feelings. But those who are bound in the world are looking for healing. They're looking for hope, and they are looking for answers. Amen? How about witchcraft? How about casting out demons? These are some things that we have to have the answers for. Amen? But we come from the premise of this. We are not judging people. Amen? We are not perfect either when we talk to them, but we love them enough to help them make good decisions. Amen? Uh, Matthew 5.14, let's put that on the screen. I love this. He says, you are a light in the world. You are a light in the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. The church is a light. You are the light of the world. That word light there means to emitting or a star. But you know what's so beautiful about a light? You don't walk into a room and go, oh, there's the light. No, the light changes the atmosphere. But if you walk up to somebody with a flash, you're like, do you know Jesus? And you're just shining in their eyeballs. They'd be like, what? That's not being a lie. That's being an annoyance. You'd be like, I, I can't even see what you're, who are you? No, we're not in people's spaces. We, we emanate God. We, we show up in the room and we push back darkness. We show up and his presence is there. And what was oppressive when you weren't in there and you walked in, the joy of the Lord came in that room. You'll never know it, but every lost person in that room will go, whoa, they brought something into the room. It's the presence of God. You speak God before you even show up on the scene. Tell me that isn't a good thing. That's the light of Jesus, amen? And if the church will be that light, we will change the world. We learned that song when we were little, this little light of mine. I'm not going to sing because I don't sing very good. God wasn't fair to me. I sound like Christina Aguilera in my head, and then it comes out my mouth. Oh, that didn't sound like what it sounded up here. But hide in under a bush, shout, no, I'm going to let it shine. We can't put our light under a bush, right? So why don't we? Because we don't know the truth. So let's get into story today, Daniel 4. We're in the story of, of Daniel the next few weeks, but um, King Nebuchadnezzar was an evil king. He was an unrighteous, ungodly king, her, one of the most horrific kings in history that, that they say. And um, they even said that Saddam Hussein um, took, took on the nature of King Nebuchadnezzar. He felt like he was the successor of King Nebuchadnezzar. It was actually his hero. And the thing about King Nebuchadnezzar, that's hard to say. Let's call him King Neb. Is that okay? 
just for King Neb, Nebuchadnezzar. Anyway, he did have a drawing to God, and he'd kind of want to be drawn to what God had to say. And then his pride would take over. There was like the spiritual tension of wanting to know God, but really in his own pride and arrogance and wanting what he wanted. And he had a dream one night. And the dream rattled him so greatly. So he called on his musicians and his interpreters, and the interpreter said that they could not interpret what his dream was. Now, as I studied this, some of the historians says they actually could interpret, they wouldn't interpret. So it kind of, they're not sure which direction it was, but they're leaning towards they actually chose not to interpret because they were afraid of what the king would think. Because if the king didn't like the interpretation or the delivery, they could be killed. So it would be very intimidating to stand up to the king because once you understand the dream, it's a very easy dream to, un to interpret it. But they were afraid. Does that sound kind of like the church today? We're kind of afraid to have those hard conversations. And so he didn't want to tell the king the bad news. Now, I want to stop right there and just tell you a story. How many has ever heard of James Robeson? He's a phenomenal man of God. And he had been in ministry for many years. They feed the hungry. They do so many incredible things. And this has been a bazillion years ago. But he uh, was visiting at a church, and he came off the stage after ministering. And he kind of went in this dark, dark hallway trying to go back to the green room. And when he did, this janitor walked up to him, this quiet, little, mild-tempered janitor. And he ran into James Robinson, and he said, I, can I talk to you? And he was very kind and gracious and soft-spoken. And he said to James Robinson, I just have to tell you that the Lord told me to talk to you, that you do have a pornography issue, and God wants to set you free. Can you imagine that little janitor thinking, God, really? You want me to have this conversation with James Robeson? No, he didn't come at like, yeah, you nasty James Robeson, you got pornography. No, he was humble of heart. He heard the assignment. And I can't imagine it took the most courageous to tell this truth to this mighty man of God. And do you know James Robeson began to weep? Because he did. He had a secret problem, but someone had the courage to confront in gentleness and humility and love, and that man of God got delivered right there in the hallway with the janitor. And I'm not demeaning a janitor. I'm just saying they were two different worlds of, you know, pastoring and janitoring, but God used a man who was willing to be bold and courageous. We need to be willing to do that. There are people like James Robeson that you'd never guess are struggling, and if we keep hiding our light under the bushel, they'll never find freedom. James Robeson could have went on for another 20 years with nobody having the courage to tell him the truth because of who he was. Amen? So we've got to be willing. So what happens? They called on Daniel. Now, in Daniel, in our first story two weeks ago, he was only 14 years old. Now, fast forward, he, historians say between 45 and 50 years old now. He's already interpreted dreams for the king, and he already has this relationship with the king. So let's find out what Daniel's going to do with this dream. So here was the dream. King Nebuchadnezzar said he had a dream of a large tree in the middle of the earth. It grew tall and strong. It reached to the heaven. The fruits were abundant and provided for many people. There was a great shade. The whole world benefited from the tree, birds nesting in the branches. And suddenly God spoke from the heavens and God said, scatter its fruit. Chase eight animals away from the shade. Cut it down, but leave a stump in the ground. So everyone will know God is the most high ruler over the kingdoms of this earth. Now, if you look at that dream, you obviously can say, well, king is the big tree. And God says, I've had enough. Let's cut off the tree. 
Now, Daniel, know, in, in, immediately knowing the interpretation of this dream, could have said, yeah, he is a rotten king. I'm going to tell him what God said. But, you know, Daniel's heart, because he had compassion, and he understood the heart of God, and he had built this relationship with the king, immediately the Bible says in Daniel that his thoughts troubled him. He was troubled by having to tell the king what God was showing him. And he even said, I want to tell you, king, it's about your friends. The Bible says, I wish I didn't have to tell you it was about you. I wish I could say it was about your friends, but I can't. I've got to tell you the truth. Amen? So what choices did he have? He had two choices in this moment. One, he could choose to not tell the truth and be afraid. He could say, I'm sorry, I really don't know king, or I don't do dream interpretation anymore. I gave that up. That's a pizza dream, bro. You probably ate some bad food, right? Instead, we're going to watch how Daniel lovingly and humbly, humbly pointed the king in the right direction towards God, even at the cost of himself dying. But he knew he had to tell the truth. So he stands up to the king, and let's look at Daniel 4.19. I love this. Daniel said, I wish these were your enemies in your dream. He showed compassion for the king. But he tells the truth, even though he had a compassionate heart. Your majesty, you, do we have Daniel 4.22? No? Okay. Um, I'll just read it to you. There we go. Your majesty, you are that tree. That's some courage. Sometimes we read the Bible, oh, that was cool. No. That's like telling someone that abortion was wrong. Like, what? What? He says, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown, he says. Uh, until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. You're so great. Here's the interpretation. You'll be driven away from the people and will live with wild animals and you will eat grass like ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Do you know what happened? He says it's going to happen if you don't humble yourself to God. You're going to end up like an animal on all fours and lose your mind. If you don't humble yourself. This is the word Daniel had to give the king. You're going to end up crazy and end up like a lunatic on all fours. Goes on to say seven times, which means seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign of all the kingdoms of the earth. Listen, God is the God of all the earth. God, Jehovah, the great I am. There is no other God that comes before God. Amen. He is the King of all kings and the Lord of all Lords, He is the God, he said. And give them, um, verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with this root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. What I love about Daniel, though, is he could have stopped right there. He said, there's the dream. Okay, I did my job. Thank you, Jesus. And step on back. But he didn't. He didn't go in arrogance and pride, and I'm, I'm better than the king. But he went a little further because he was trying to get King Nebuchadnezzar to see God in a different light. He was trying to get King to answer what God was trying to say. He didn't want to see him gold in the wilderness and the plan that was going to happen if he didn't honor God the Most High. So he went a little further and he said in verse 27, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. See, that's not someone trying to shove truth down their throat. It's someone just saying, don't you see the truth of what God is trying to say? He said, I care for you enough to tell you the truth. Stop sinning and do what is right. Is that up there? And do what is 
right. Anytime you're going to bring instruction or confrontation to someone, that's the base that it's going to be on. It's going to be humble and in love. But the truth, stop sinning because the consequences are so great. You may not see it now, but trust me, you will pay the price if you don't honor and obey what God is trying to say in this season. Now, sometimes I feel like I'm preaching that way for the last five years. Listen to what God is saying. If we don't listen, church, we'll pay the consequences if we don't obey God and do and say the hard things. Verse 20, uh, whatever it is, break from your wicked past. Maybe 20, I don't know. Maybe the finish of 27. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? He's saying, please do what's right because I want you to be blessed. That's the heart when we have these conversations. We don't need to try to be right to people. They're not looking for that. But our heart needs to be, I want to get you into the fullness that all God has for you. Amen. We're in a church community, so I know we all differ a little bit. But we all can kind of come in this room and we can love one another. We can be compassionate. We put past our differences. But the world, there will be a time we're going to have to step up because God will call on your hearts to speak the truth to someone. Amen. So how do we do that? Be prayerful. Be praying. When I have to have a confrontation with someone, and confrontation almost seems like a bad word, but just a conversation, I am prayerful about it. I cover it in the blood of Jesus. I ask for the wisdom of God. I ask for the Holy Spirit to be present. I just don't come out guns loaded. And then I get scripture, and I get the word of God ready so I can take the word of God, not my word, but the word of God that is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. The truth will set them free. So I bring in the word of God. Amen. And there's probably 99.9 or I could say 100% of the time I practice my conversation with them. Literally. I may go over it. I talk to myself a lot. It's true. Ask Ro. She's always asking me when she's here, are you talking to me, Pastor Bob? Nope, just talking to myself. <laughs> myself and Jesus. But I have the conversation. Why? I want to know that where I'm coming from is love and it's acceptable and can be heard. Amen. And I feel God's anointing in it. And then also, guess what? I let them talk to me. Let them talk to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be offended. Let them have the con. Where are they coming from? Where's that experience? And then you can get to the root of maybe that where that lie came in and pray, and God can rip out that root. Amen. So that truth can come into their hearts. But we have to have a beautiful, prayerful confrontation with someone. That's why social media is awful to try to put your truth out there. It's awful. It's damaging. I made the post about Roe v. Wade because as a pastor, I knew God told me, we have to show where we stand as a church. But it was full of love, and it was full of, but we have answers, and we're going to do things to help and reach out the community. So I do have to make a stand because that's what we do today. But also, let's have a conversation. And then from then, you never saw another post from me because I just think that's more harmful than it does good. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's look at what the Bible says, and i got to wrap this up quick. Galatians. I think it's Galatians 6 1 says this. I love this example. Apostle Paul is talking to the Galatian Christians. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, not arrogantly and harshly, gently and humbly, right, help that person back into the right path. 
Isn't that beautiful? That's just talking. That's love. That's relationship. Now, if they want to argue, go back to the first verse we talked about. I'm not going to argue with you. If you want to have a conversation, I will have it with you till Jesus comes. But I'm not going to fight about it. Amen? You're just wasting your time. And I love six, um, the end of 6.1. It says this. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Sometimes I think these people that are like, you know, heralding super loud makes me wonder what's going on. We, I talked to Pastor Lonnie about that. You know, what, what is it that I, that I feel like I can judge other people and judge other pastors? And, 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 and the Bible says clearly, I have it, Matthew 7, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. It's so easy to look through our bifocals or, no, no, binoculars or whatever, of our truth. We're so tunnel vision, it's the truth. And it is the truth because it's the word of God. But we enter into pride and judgment. And it goes on to say, why do you, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Listen, we all have some backyards to clean up. Come on. You got some junk in the trunk. We all do. We all have failures and mistakes. We all have weaknesses, and it's not our, judge, our job to judge anyone, including pastors leading churches. Let them be accountable to God. Amen? So what happens? Well, I can't judge them, so I won't say anything. No, that's not the truth either. Amen? I don't judge, but let's have a conversation, right? Number one, how do we, how do, we do that? God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. That's what we want. It's the goal of loving people back to Christ, loving the world and showing the example of Christ. What did Jesus do when the woman was caught in the act of adultery and they threw her right in front of all her accusers? Jesus didn't go after her. He wrote in the dirt. We don't know for sure. Some people say he wrote their sin in the dirt. And one by one, plop, 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 rocks fell very quickly to the ground. And who was left? The accused. But what did Jesus say? Go and sin no more. Oh, I love you. You're good. I love you. Oh, Jesus loves you. Yeah, he does. But go and sin no more. Love is 101, people. That's Christianity 101. Yes, Jesus loves them. That's 101. Now what's next? What's 202? No, you need to change. You need to be mentored. You need to die to yourself. You need to give. You need to serve. You need to find a local church. There are things you need to lead people into discipleship. It's not enough to say God loves you without giving them the opportunity to change. Amen? And how do we do that? Galatians 6, gently and humbly. Never confront because we're right. How about the woman at the well? She came up, and he called her out. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband. He said, but if you drink from me, I'll give you living water, and you'll never thirst again. He didn't judge her, but he told her truth. And because he told her truth, she ran into the city, and she changed a whole region and brought them all to Jesus. One broken woman because Jesus told her the truth. Said, you need me. The world, you're, it's temporary, but me, you get me, I'll fill you up. It'll be like a refreshing well. It'll never stop in your life. Amen? I'll tell you this. I don't want a confrontational church I, in the sense of I don't want you fighting with one another. That's not my heart at all. I want our church to be known for what, not for 
not to be known for what we're against, but I want us to be known for what we are for. What we're for. The world already knows what they, they already know how unhappy they are. Let's just lift up Jesus. He says, I am the author and the finished. If you lift up my name, I will draw all people unto me. If we love them with the same love Jesus loved us, and y'all came to the church crazy. I saw some of your transformations. We didn't judge you. Chad's got both hands and feet in the air. Let's give the same grace and mercy to other people that think and act differently than us. Amen. So Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. I'm closing it up. He didn't listen. And what happened? For seven years, he became a madman in the wilderness. Everything that God said. So listen, when you tell the truth to someone, they might not always listen. You're not responsible for the results. Sometimes you may get their heart, and you may have that transformation. But sometimes you just have to tell the truth and let God do what he needs to do. So that truth was in Nebuchadnezzar. And then look at Daniel 4, 34. What happened? Seven years later, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. You see, God's word was fulfilled when he came to his senses and said, God is the great I am. God restored that stump that was cut off. God could restore it back again. That's the heart we need to have for the world today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this amazing church. I thank you, God, that you are sprouting and birthing and, and getting us bold and courageous and ready, God, to do what you've called us to do in this season of the church and this move of God. I thank you, Lord God, that you will give us just inside into your word. I just feel like reminding, you know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit draws us into all truth. The Holy Spirit draws you into worship. The Holy Spirit draws you to salvation. So my prayer for this church and all of you is that the Holy Spirit will begin to draw you, begin to draw you to the word of God, draw you to find out truth from God's word. Father God, I thank you right now that Holy Spirit, you have permission to draw us Lord, we put aside the old manna and the old way and the things that we used to just devour on all the time that was our truth. But God, we put that away and we say, Lord, give us the word today. Give us fresh rhema, fresh manna from heaven, fresh dew of your presence and your anointing, Father God. Lead us into all truth, God. And Lord, most of all, give us big courage, big courage to share the truth in love to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, to share our testimony and our faith, Father God. I pray, God, that you'll begin to trouble our hearts for the things that trouble you, God. And only you can do that, Father God. Only you can trouble our hearts and let our ears begin to hear what your spirit has to say. I thank you for this mighty move and this mighty wave that's sweeping across this nation, God. And I know it is drawing near, God, a beautiful awakening and a shout from the house of God. And we thank you, Jesus, that faith builders will be part of that shout, God. We will be a light on the hill, a city that cannot be hidden, Father God. We will be a light that the world will be drawn to, God, to find truth and hope and freedom and deliverance and love, Lord God. I thank you and I praise you. And I want to give everyone the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life today. And maybe you're away from the Lord and you need to come back. Maybe you stumbled in and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. This is your moment. And I want everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm asking you, forgive me 
of all of my sin. I love you. I receive you into my life. I'm coming home again. I surrender to you. Give me ears to hear. Convict my heart. Draw me to your word. And I surrender to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a praise this morning. Listen, sign up for Growing Together. Sign up for Rooted that's coming up. Sign up for these classes so we can better equip you. I only got 35 minutes to just give you as much truth as I could. But get in these classes so it can just reiterate and confirm the word that we've been speaking from the pulpit. Amen. I love you all so much. Let's welcome Pastor Bob.